Thought Leadership from PwC. Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in as we continue our 2022 SEC Comment Letter Trends Series. This week, we're discussing emerging comment letter trends stemming from the macroeconomic environment. These comments are relatively new and have not yet cracked the top 10, but are definitely ones to focus on. And although comment letters are obviously directed to SEC registrants, as I always like to remind you, this information is also valuable to private companies as you think about your own reporting. Put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's not really intimately familiar with your business and will they be able to understand again specifically how these trends are affecting your business not just sort of a uh, say a, a recitation of the broader themes that we're all seeing that was pat durbin a partner in the national office who's here today to take us through how trending current events including supply chain disruptions inflation and rising interest rates are manifesting themselves into comment letters from the SEC. There's certainly no shortage of events and issues, and they're definitely far-reaching. There's sure to be something here for everyone. There's a lot to cover, so let's get started. Hello, Pat. Welcome back to the podcast. So nice to be in person with you today. Good to be here, Heather. Thanks for having me. All right. So today we're going to be focused on, I think, something that's on everyone's mind, which is impact of current events, and in particular, how that is impacting people's SEC uh, filings. So maybe just to start things off, can you kind of lay some groundwork for us of what types of things we're seeing? Yeah, and maybe before we do that, maybe just helpful to set the context because we are talking about SEC comments and almost by nature, they're a, sort of a trailing indicator, right? I mean, the, the comments are only issued on information that's already been filed with the SEC. They don't become publicly available until some period of time after that. So if you think about the comments we really have to observe today, they're mostly still on financial statements for 2021. Comments maybe were first half of 2022 made public, sort of similar time frame. So it's not necessarily immediately responsive to everything that's happened, particularly in 2022. Sometimes the SEC will observe something happening in the market, in the environment, and they'll issue what sometimes is referred to as like a dear CFO letter or formally like a sample comment letter, highlighting those areas where they think companies should be paying particular attention in their filings. And so we can hit on maybe some of those themes as well. So Pat, just to clarify, we have seen a dear CFO letter related to current events or specific to some certain current events. So the one example that's out there that's maybe current event-ish, not so much focused on just the economy, but the particular events in uh, the in Russia and Ukraine, um, and particularly for entities that have exposure there, there was a, a sample comment letter that the staff published in um, the spring of this year, basically reminding registrants of the types of things they should be making sure they cover in their filings. And we've seen a few comments, actual comments around those themes, but maybe some of the broader themes like you know, the rising interest rates, the broader inflation, the sort of persistent supply chain challenges. We've seen some comment traffic there, but when you think about how those have evolved, the much more acute 
and severe uh, implications of those really have started to be experienced more in 2022. So I think we can maybe infer a little bit of what we might expect to see, but don't have a lot of actual comment history, but we'll hit on what we have. All right, perfect. And so, Pat, to your point about thinking about what we can infer, I think this is hard for registrants, right, because they have to sort of anticipate what the staff may say, and they want to make sure they're addressing it appropriately. So what are some of the factors that, you know, kind of tend to get extra focus? I think the the big thing that frequently is a, a source of the comments, and I think it's important to keep in mind that most of the time the comments are triggered by something that's disclosed somewhere by the company. What the staff tends to be focused on is, in particular, if you're talking about things that are affecting your business, whether they be the broader economic environment, things you're trying to do when you talk to your investors, say like in investor day presentations or in earnings calls, they will frequently look to see if you're making those same sorts of comments in your filed documents, the 10Ks and 10Qs, because their perspective would be if that information is important to investors, important enough for you to communicate to them in other forums, they ought to be part of the formally filed information and subject to the SEC's disclosure uh, regime. One of the things they frequently cite is um, some very, I'll say, long-standing guidance that's in um, Regulation SK, Item 303. It's around your management's discussion and analysis of results of operations and financial condition, or MDNA, as we say casually. In particular, the sort of granularity and specificity of your commentary there, making sure that you're really providing the investor with enough information to really understand. You're not just describing very generically or broadly that you're having some supply chain challenges or that you're experiencing inflation, really getting more granular on what parts of your business, quantification of those, if there are some offsetting impacts, you know, perhaps inflation has helped on both the pricing side as well as on the cost side, making sure you're disaggregating some of that information. So that's a very consistent theme you'll see in the staff's comments is when they hear you talking about some of those types of um, effects on the financial statements in other places, but not doing it in the in the file documents or not doing it in sort of sufficient detail in the file documents. So I've had two things that really stood out for me there. I think the first one is your advice about consistency. I think it's probably something we could have said in any of the podcasts in the series. So definitely good advice and good reminder. But the other one, for the benefit of the listeners that you couldn't see this, that the title of item 303 just rolled off Pat's tongue, didn't even have to look at his notes. So very impressive there. Um, So Pat, maybe to dig in a little deeper, although I think you gave some good um, things for companies to think about that I want to come back to in terms of process towards the end. But maybe if we think about sort of drivers, I know you've, um, as I was sort of joking with you earlier, become sort of our key point of focus in terms of what is going on in the economy and how those things may be impacting the financial statements. So what are some of the things companies should be thinking about in the context of their own business? Yeah, so I think Probably the big ones that are broad-based and affect a lot of companies are, and you could maybe say they're the same or one's a function of the other, but supply chain challenges and inflation or cost pressures, those are sort of the big 
themes, those were starting to emerge, certainly supply chain, even back since COVID, that's persisted. It's kind of ebbed and flowed, but certainly has taken you know, another turn here in, in 2022 with the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the um, additional lockdowns in China. So that's a persistent factor. And so we do have some comments that have already been issued in that space. And then inflation, which you could say maybe is a little bit of a function of that, but perhaps uh, some broader um, factors driving that and how that's affecting businesses. So the types of comments we've seen there, um, I think, um, if you hearken back to the you know commentary on just being specific, really getting granular, a lot of it is around that theme. Like, so a company makes a comment about we've seen uh, supply chain challenges with some of our our key inputs. Um, okay. But tell me where specifically and quantify that. You know, you said you had some margin pressures due to supply chain issues. Drill down on that. Explain in more detail where specifically and to what extent. And not just in terms of what happened, but also in terms of what the outlook then looks like. What do you expect that to do to your results going forward? Meaning, is this now just something that happened or is this a symptom of something you know, further down the road in your outlook. So I think it's just all the different angles around sort of that common theme. And it's hard to say that there's like, okay, you're going to get a comment if you say this. It's really just around in the context of your business, are you really providing enough color commentary, I'll say, around some of these broader factors to really explain to the reader what, what, what effect it's having on your business specifically? So it's almost, Pat, you're saying, and I think this makes sense, if you think about from the perspective of the users, could a user really almost pinpoint or describe to someone else what impact some of those external factors are having on the business in more than just a general sense? Exactly. Yep. So Pat, maybe sticking then with supply chain, you mentioned that that has been top of mind since COVID, definitely something we've covered before on the podcast. And in particular, I know we've already seen some comments, but what are some of the specifics you're seeing in this environment beyond the make sure someone understands what the direct impact on your business is? Yeah. So the other lens that you see quite frequently is around the, um, the risk factor discussion, which is a little different, obviously, than the MDNA. It's, it's a, tended to be a, a bit more of a I'll say a broader forward look of the sort of risks facing the business. and But there again, the staff is focused on, okay, supply chain challenges is a risk, but you need to drill down on that and tell me more specifically, how is that likely to impact your business, your ability to actually continue to serve your customers, the risk to your growth goals for the business, quantify the significance of it. Um, really, you know, drilling in again on some of these broader themes to really explain how they're affecting your business um, to the extent that you have to change suppliers. You know, is that going to have an impact on your quality? Is that going to have an impact on regulatory compliance if you're operating in a in an industry where the quality of the inputs or where the inputs come from matters? So it's all those different tentacles of sort of this broader theme, you know, when you just say supply chain, okay, at one level it resonates, but then it really doesn't convey to the reader, how does that specifically affect this business? Because lots of businesses have supply chain challenges, Mm -hmm. and I need to understand how I can distinguish this particular investment option from another. 
and how those supply chain challenges are going to manifest themselves. All right. That, that makes sense. Now, I think my next question is probably going to have some similar uh, types of recommendations, but let's delve a little more into inflation. And again, I think that's something that you know we started talking about in the spring, kept hoping it was a topic that was going to go away, but definitely one that's continuing. And I think as we look ahead, I know from talking to some of our uh, geopolitical and economic, um, you know, PwC intelligence people, they said that is something we could expect to continue to see. So what types of things should companies be thinking about in the context of inflation? Yeah, and I think you're you're right. I mean, you the, the themes are going to be similar. It's so it's another lens on, okay, you've explained that, you know, inflation is creating some pressure in your business, but where specifically to what extent, maybe with respect to particular inputs or particular markets, um, if there's an impact on demand, ultimately, because your prices of your products are, are increasing, um, you know, it really could be a pervasive impact on the financial statements, but really drilling into the various areas, both from a results of operation standpoint, as well as at some level, perhaps liquidity, um, your need for liquidity, if costs are increasing, you need to expand perhaps your um, working capital facilities, all those types of knock-on consequences. And then to the extent that you're making estimates that we make all the time in accounting that depend on some of these forward-looking assumptions, how have you incorporated mm -hmm. those rising prices into those future assumptions, right? I think that's another dimension that the staff will often focus on is not just, again, the what has happened, but how has it informed estimates that you're um, using in your financial statements, which obviously might have a current accounting consequence, but tend to be more dependent upon what could happen in the future rather than just what has already happened. So then to that point, Pat, you're talking about things like if you're doing an impairment test, making sure your costs are appropriately, or are appropriately inflated. Maybe there's going to be pressure on consumption because you've raised your prices, or maybe you're going to uh, have less of a margin because you haven't raised your prices. So all those types of things, it's not just sort of a superficial, oh, at the end of the year, maybe my sales are down, but there's a lot more to it in terms of how you're looking at those estimates. Uh, absolutely. All right. That's very helpful. So then it definitely seems like if we're talking about inflation, then the next point that we've also is always a follow on is when we think about rising interest rates. And that also obviously ties in to this impairment, this brief discussion we just had. But what else should we be thinking about when we look at the interest rate environment? Yeah. And interest rates are an interesting one because um, I would say, Interest rates affect businesses pervasively, right? And but it's raising money is going to uh, incur interest costs. If you think about the situation we're in now, where the central banks have been raising interest rates, a lot of that significant increase in rates has occurred in 2022. So we haven't really seen much in the way of comments there, except for businesses that are very interest rate sensitive. So for sure financial services companies where, you know, they're basically, you know, an intermediary in the financial system. They, they need capital that costs them money. They then, you know, lend that capital um, where they make their return, you know, interest rates moving in different directions and, and rapidly create some real challenges in those businesses. So for those types of businesses, we have seen some comments to really, again, explain 
how is this affecting your business? And I think there it's some of the comments are very, very specific to, well, you said um, the increase in interest rates was not going to affect your business because you've, you know, sort of matched your borrowing costs with your, um, you know, the, the returns you're you're receiving, but yet somewhere else in your filing, you said there was pressure on margins because of rising interest mm-hmm. rates. So they're looking for some of that internal consistency. But again, it tends to be very specific around, you know, again, your business, your business model, and how those um, changes in interest rates are affecting you. You, you made the mention of, um, you know, asset impairments, clearly all other things being equal, rising interest rates are going to put a lot more pressure on fair values of assets. So certainly to the extent that that's a risk in your asset valuation, perhaps you have limited headroom or cushion and a goodwill impairment. You've got a lot of exposure to or a lot of sensitivity to small movements and interest rates that could have a big impact. Those are the types of things that you should likely be thinking about. Again, we haven't seen, at least in this go-round, significant comments yet just because of where we are in the cycle. But I think when you sort of look at what the the types of things that the staff comments on, um, that's something to think about. And for sure, anytime there is a large impairment, the other thing the staff will frequently ask is where were your sort of foreshadowing disclosures? You know, the disclosure that, hey, we do have a material goodwill balance. A change in interest rates could have an impact on the fair value of our reporting units, and therefore we could have uh, a goodwill impairment in a future period. I mean, that's something that we've definitely seen in the past. Yep. I feel like we've even talked about that before on the podcast. So that's sort of a recurring item. So then, Pat, let me go back to where we started, which is you mentioned the Dear CFO letter related to Ukraine, and that unfortunately is definitely still an ongoing current event. Uh, what types of things specifically should companies either with operations in Ukraine or Russia or sort of impacted by those be thinking about? Yeah, and it's uh, it's good to circle back on that because that is the one place where we've seen some comments on the non-cap, non-GAAP topic, which is obviously a frequent source of comments um, as the SEC just tries to, I think, ensure there's some balance in how companies are describing their their operation and complying with the um, compliance and disclosure interpretations around non-GAAP measures that are now, I guess, several years old at this point. But in particular, with respect to uh, Russia, Ukraine, the things that they focused on, at least in their sample comment letter, were um, somebody trying to present a non-GAAP measure of, say, lost revenue or you know revenue that they might, a company might have earned had the conflict not occurred that you know disrupted their operations. I think the staff has a pretty strong point of view that that's essentially an alternative GAAP number, not a an allowable non-GAAP number under their Regulation G. And then um, the other thing is when you're looking at expenses related to that, making sure you're pretty careful about things that are really normal, recurring expenses of your business that just happen to have been um, perhaps increased. Maybe you had to do some workarounds to deal with the conflict. You had to change you know, how you were moving goods around. I think the staff has a view that, okay, you can describe those impacts when you're talking about your business, but you can't really say that your results would have been different without those expenses because those were expenses you just needed to incur to run your business. Different from, say, for example, 
a facility that was perhaps destroyed Mm -hmm. and you'd say, okay, well, that's a loss that I would not have suffered absent these events. I think that there would be an, uh, an acceptance that that would be an adjustable item versus while my transportation costs went up because I had to pay more for shipping because oil prices went through the roof. Mm -hmm. Those are the types of things that they would have a problem with. So Pat, one thing, maybe looping all the way back to the beginning of the podcast and something, you know, when you were talking about considering all of these different current events and the impact on your filing, your valuations, or if, you know, if you're a private company, just on the financial statements themselves, one of the things that struck me is I think as accountants, we're used to looking back, not forward. And we're also used to thinking about last year and just rolling forward last year. And so if I look at a lot of companies that right now are probably preparing their sort of shell 10Ks, and it often is this roll forward process and dealing with these types of issues can be require more than a word or two change here or there. So what type of advice do you give to companies to kind of deal with the change that we're seeing? Yeah, well, you alluded to the sort of roll forward approach. And I, I do think that's probably somewhat customary, but clearly in an environment like we're seeing now with so much change happening, I think that's um, probably going to be a challenge um, to to sort of consider business as usual. I think there needs to be some level of taking a fresh look, taking a cold read. You know, maybe it's somebody who's not normally in the the, the 10K preparation process, but really understands the business having them take a look and say, hey, what are the things we ought to be highlighting? I mean, change can be challenging um, just because people are accustomed to Mm -hmm. the way it's been done before, the templates, the way all the information comes together. So practically, it's, it's certainly challenging. But I think just given the level of uncertainty we're dealing with and given what we know um, the stakeholders and the SEC are focused on, I think really taking that time to be thoughtful in how you describe what's happening in the broader economy, but importantly, how it's affecting your business, both in terms of the results that you've had, as well as the outlook for you know the, the relative near term and how you've baked that into your forward-looking assumptions. All of those are things that Likely, wherever you were at the end of 21 is not where you're going to be at the end of 2022. And I I wish I had a sort of an easy solution for everyone out there because I appreciate the practical challenges that it presents. But um, I do think there's a lot of uh, a lot of change that really needs to be carefully considered. And if you spend the time on the front end, the one thing I think we generally counsel uh, folks on is if you spend that time on the front end, you save yourself a lot of time on the back end answering some of these questions that uh, the staff might have on your filings. Yeah, and I think, Pat, you know, if we look back, it's we had 2020, 2021, and now 2022, all years with a lot of change. And so any company that's just been sort of layering those in now probably really is a good time to take a step back, take a fresh look. And as painful as it might be, you probably will be happy with the finished product to kind of take that fresh um, sheet of paper and and rethink about how you want to be describing some of this to your audience. Yeah, and really, you know, I think the other piece of advice, sort of put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's not really intimately familiar with your business. And will they be able to understand, again, specifically how these trends are affecting your business, not just sort of a, uh, say, a a recitation of the broader themes that we're all seeing. All right. So, Pat, now we get to do stump the guests. 
I have two questions for you today. This is always my favorite part of the podcast. Uh, So let's see how we do. And I do have a few hints. So the first question is that the Federal Reserve raised short-term benchmark rate by three quarters of a percentage point in June 2022. This was the sharpest increase since what year? And I'm happy to give some years to choose from if that would be helpful. Multiple choice would be helpful. All right. Happy to do that. So your hints are 1994... 2000, 2008, or 2020? 1994. All right, Pat, that was, you were right on. So the June hike was the biggest hike since 1994. So good job, Pat. Definitely right on that one. So the next one might be a little higher, although maybe if you think back back in your life, you may be able to get this one. That's my hint for you. What was the highest interest rate in U.S. history? I mean, I know the inflation and interest rates got really high, like in the 1970s. Um, and I'm going to guess maybe it was like in the high teens, like maybe like, I want to say 18 percent ish, something like that. All right. So you were very close. I feel like if we had been you know, playing that warm, I would have been warmer, <laughs> warmer. So the highest Fed funds rate was 20 percent in 1980. Oh. And that was in response to double digit inflation, I Let's hope we don't get back to that. But in September 1981, a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage was at a double-digit high of 19%. Wow. Yes, exactly. So I didn't ask you this, but I will share the lowest Fed funds rate was zero in 2008 and again in March 2020. So it's crazy to think we've gone from zero in March 2020 to where we are now. So definitely, I think, a sign of everything we've been talking about today. But Pat, as always, such a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Heather. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.